fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about fighting the law and the law winning with my friend Vienno. <laughs> How are you, Vienno? Um, I'm warm. It's so warm. I hate this. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty good. I mean, like the thing is, I, I've been inside with my uh, AC unit, which I know oh, no. a lot of people who don't have an AC unit are probably going to be angry at me. But <laughs> uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's 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 sweaty. Uh, I mean, we did have the the huge thunderstorm rolling today, and I was in the middle of editing one of our our latest episodes, and uh, the power cut right in the middle of it, and I had like a mild like panic attack that I was gonna lose all the work that I did. And uh, thankfully, autosave saved the day. <laughs> See, I didn't even get the thunderstorm in my area. It was like two minutes of thunder, and then nothing. And I don't think we got any rain. No, it it poured here, and then like I got worried because the way the wind kept changing directions and it made me think that maybe a tornado was coming but uh, as far as i'm aware no tornado touchdown so that's good small mercies yeah <laughs> you know no tornadoes auto saved kicked in we're have we're having a good day all right <laughs> yep now we're going to get into the show uh thankfully I guess because I still have a lot of catching up to do after our break. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm just going to, we're going to pump out a bunch of stuff and it's all going to feel like you're getting a lot all at once, but uh, that's that's just how it's turned out. But this hopefully is, I think, based on how their week went on this week in particular was pretty uh, short. So we, we hopefully it won't be too long. And uh, with that, we'll just get right to it. This is the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from June 14th to June 18th. Ezra refers to a study that claims those around 40 years old are dying from overdoses at a higher rate late in the pandemic, and that this has added to excess deaths. Ezra then argues, based on this data, that COVID isn't killing people. Instead, youths are dying from suicide and drugs. During the fall of 2020, younger people became more heavily affected by excess deaths, as 35% of these deaths involved individuals under the age of 65, up from 14% in the spring. The number of deaths was 24% higher than expected for men aged 40, under 45, followed by women aged 45 to 64, who recorded 14% more deaths than expected. By comparison, there were 6% more deaths than expected among those aged 85 and older during the fall period. As these shifts imply an increase in deaths not directly caused by COVID-19, it is important to note that some deaths may be due to the indirect consequences of the pandemic, which could include increases in mortality due to overdoses. For example, in British Columbia, the Chief Coroner's Office has reported an increase in deaths due to overdoses since the start of the pandemic. Similarly, Alberta Health Services reported decreases in both the provision and use of substance use treatment programs, as well as increases in opioid-related emergency responses and deaths since the onset of the pandemic. Overdose deaths disproportionately affect younger men. For example, according to a report by Alberta Health between January 1 and January 30th, 79% of apparent unintentional fentanyl overdoses were among men with those aged 25 to 39 recording the highest proportions of such deaths. That's all a careful way of saying the pandemic isn't actually killing a lot of people anymore. The lockdown is drugs, suicide, young people in despair. That was 2020. The study didn't mention youths or suicide. Ezra then claims that the vaccines are causing heart disease and is mad that doctors are still recommending the vaccine given these side effects. CDC says vaccine linked to heart, heart inflammation is stronger than previously thought. Oh, you don't say just that, eh? Well, the risk uh, of the virus to people under 40 is negligible. For people under 20, the risk of the virus is infinitesimally small. But what's this heart inflammation business from the vaccine? Myocarditis, is that the word? That's a new one. So young people are just dying from heart disease shortly after taking 
the vaccine. Oh, don't worry about it though, guys. Turns out there is a rare side effect of heart inflammation for some people who get specific vaccines. But the data also shows that the people who get this condition after the vaccine mostly all recover with no incident. This means that the effects of getting COVID are still much, much worse, even if you are younger. An indigenous reserve did a lottery to encourage people to get vaccinated, and Ezra compares this to residential schools. I bet a lot of kids on that reserve would love a free video game console. Indian reserves are typically poor. I have no doubt that the local health authority is doing what they think is right. It's just a bit of a strange juxtaposition in my mind. We, we just went through a hurricane-level media coverage of an Indi Indian residential school in, in Kamloops. Um, these residential schools, they abused indigenous kids. They made choices for them and their family based on a paternalistic authoritarianism. And here we are trying to bribe Aboriginal kids as young as 12 to get jabbed for a disease that is of no statistical risk to them. He claimed that the problem with residential schools was paternalistic authoritarianism and compares that with the lottery bribing indigenous kids to get vaccinated. It should be obvious, but forcibly removing children from indigenous families is an act of genocide, and encouraging people to get vaccinated during a global pandemic that has already killed over 3 million people is not. It is also worth mentioning that this program was being run by the community, and therefore is not being imposed on the reserve as some sort of act of paternalistic authoritarianism. Aged liberal comedian Jon Stewart was on Late Night with Stephen Colbert and went on a rant about the Wuhan lab being the source of the virus. But do you mean like well, so this perhaps a... there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab, there's an investigation? A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. Mm. And you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait. of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, Look at the name. Can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, 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 okay. Wait a second, wait a second. What about this? What about wait this? Wait a second. Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. The reason scientists suspect that the virus went from bat to, say, a pangolin is due to the genomic similarity between COVID-19 and other existent viruses found in both bats and pangolins. This is some of the strongest evidence that COVID-19 had a natural origin. But if you say it in a silly voice, it doesn't make it not true. Also, why would a coronavirus research lab be near the outbreak of a coronavirus? Maybe it's because if you want to study coronaviruses, you go to where the coronaviruses are. Ezra praises Jon Stewart for his routine and says he will now be canceled, just like J.K. Rowling. Here are all the things you literally can be banned for, um, for saying about the virus on YouTube. Uh, but only about this virus. You can say anything about other diseases on YouTube, but not this one, or you'll be canceled. I'm not sure if they plan to cancel Jon Stewart. Maybe. I mean, he's big, but they tried to cancel J.K. Rowling, the creator of Harry Potter, for having the wrong point of view on transgenderism, too. Ezra then claims that the purpose of the virus was to remove Trump from office and make China a superpower. I actually think Jon Stewart will be fine, though, because the main purpose has been achieved. China devastated the world's economy, especially America's. Donald Trump was removed from office. Big Pharma is bigger than ever, richer than ever. 
And you, little citizen, are more compliant than ever. Which would suggest to me that Ezra thinks China created the virus as a bioweapon? Because viruses don't have purposes. People do. Eric Metaxas, best known for being a writer on VeggieTales, has been cancelled from YouTube. He claims it is because they platformed quote-unquote leftist Naomi Wolf, who is a vaccine denialist, anti-lockdown person, and anti-masker. Eric compares his cancellation from YouTube to his ancestors who fled communism. But if anybody thinks that I, who was raised by uh, working class European immigrants who have tasted communism in their lives and taught me to despise it and to stand against it, um, if anybody thinks that I'm going to be quiet because YouTube did that, uh, I'm going to fight all the harder. I'm grieved for my country and for the West. But uh, look, some of these things have to happen for people to wake up. I remember reading about the Great Cancellation, when Joseph Stalin removed every Soviet from YouTube, forcing some to flee to America. <laughs> Eric is going to fight this, though, by asking for emails and joining Rumble, just like Ezra. Ezra promotes a new news channel in England called Great Britain News. He praises Andrew Neil, who used to work for the BBC, and is now the chair and presenter for GB News. In order to promote GB News, Ezra plays an Islamophobic rant by Neil, so you can tell why he likes this channel already. Ezra is now happy that there will now finally be a television program in England that will talk about cancel culture and trans women in sports. This is an odd claim considering that England is already known for being rather transphobic in their media. Ezra also claims that the cancel mob was coming for GB News before it even started by going after advertisers. He then says you don't understand how these mobs work until they come after you, and he talks about the barrage of comments and the trauma that that could cause. But the mob, the censorship mob works in funny ways. I've seen it many times around the world in the US and Canada, in Australia too even. You may think you're brave, and maybe you are. But until you go through a mob, a Twitter mob, a cancel culture mob, you just don't know what it's like. And maybe you're not up to it. I, I don't know. You have to go through it on Twitter. A zillion accounts, many of them anonymous, most of them just the equivalent of photocopies of a master account, start hounding you, surrounding you, chattering at you, claiming to be a customer of yours, claiming that they're going to stop being a customer unless you stop advertising with someone or stop supporting someone or, or fire someone or stop being friends with someone. And they basically say, either you join with our pitchforks and torches mob and we're going to kill our target and you join us or you're the target. Decide quickly because we've got a burning torch here and you've got a grass hut. It's a kind of blackmail, a kind of shakedown. Join us in the mob or the mob's going to get you. However... Literally the day before, Ezra was complaining on his show that the CBC would not let people comment on some of their articles. Just last night, here's CBC's chief censor, Brody Fenlon. This is a news story. This isn't from Access to Information. This is in the CBC itself. Why CBC is turning off Facebook comments on news posts for a month. Social media attacks on our journalists and the subjects of our stories is something we take seriously. For sure, just like Wendy Messley, <laughs> she's allowed to attack you. She's allowed to smear you, call you a racist. You just can't talk back. And Avi Yamini, convicted wife beater and rebel employee, was bragging about sending fans to harass comedian Jim Jeffries. I'm talking about real people. They know that you're a disgrace. Let's just remember the first public appearance on a show that you couldn't ban people from after you tried to screw me. That's right. Remember when you went on to Conan's and you couldn't restrict people, you couldn't block or disable comments or reactions? There were suddenly 15,000 dislikes and almost 4,000 comments all calling you out. Avi Yamini, convicted wife beater, former IDF soldier, stalker of Jim Jeffries, is on to talk about Hong Kong. Avi always reports on Hong Kong for Rebel News, mostly because of the close proximity of, of Hong Kong to Australia, where Avi lives. They spend most of their time talking about the forced closing of a newspaper called Apple Daily, which is an anti-China, pro-Hong Kong democracy tabloid newspaper. 
Ezra and Avi discuss how no one in the media is talking about this, even though the newspaper was pro-Donald Trump and spread rumors about Hunter Biden's connections with the Chinese government. Joe Biden has spoken out against the closing of Apple Daily. Rachel Maddow on MSNBC has covered the closing of Apple Daily for several weeks. Ezra claims that China was never doing this to Hong Kong when Trump was president, even though the introduction of a fugitive offender bill, which sparked the 2019 protests in Hong Kong, occurred when Trump was in fact still president. Ezra again uses this opportunity to claim that Gandhi's tactics will not work against the Chinese government, and that they will that they only worked on the British because the Brits are genteel. Yeah, if, if you use Mahatma Gandhi's passive resistance, that only works when you're up against uh, the British Empire or you know a liberal-minded, rule-of-law-oriented uh, occupier with a conscience. It doesn't work against Xi Jinping or Stalin or Hitler. If you say, make love, not war, they'll kill you and throw your body on the pile. It, it only works when you're up against noble opponents like the Brits. You know, the same genteel Brits as the ones that killed thousands of Chinese people in the Opium Wars before they colonized Hong Kong. And that is the week! I love that. <laughs> like, the Brits are so genteel and we're referring to one of their colonies right now as we speak. Also, like, Gandhi's tactics didn't work in, in India either. Like, it's, it is interesting, because, like, Ezra's saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, you can't do pacifist tactics against the scary Chinese government, which is pretty much explicitly calling for violence. Like, yeah. <laughs> that is saying, like, hey, yeah, we need, what, a fucking, like, civil war or something? Like... Yeah, he's literally calling for a war against China. I didn't even put yeah. that together. I gotta keep this part in. They're literally calling for a war on China. Yeah. What else could it and be? Also, like, the genteel Brits killed millions, tens of millions of people in British India before withdrawing. Like, I, I only mentioned the opium wars <laughs> because yeah. we're talking about Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's yeah. just kind of like, even in the context of what he is referring to. It didn't work. This might be a really short main segment, in part because there was no, like, huge big uh, news that happened uh, the week that this uh, show aired. Uh, but most of it that I wanted to talk about centered around their interactions with police. So I figured we would just have a bit of a focus on that and then call it a day. For those who don't know, actually, this this would have been the week that Maxime Bernier was arrested. <laughs> and on top of that, they received a ticket for David Menzies. So most of the stories sort of, like, surround that. And Ezra is obviously mad at, at what's happening because, you know, the police are supposed to be their best friends and not arresting them. Which is sort of how his, his one day begins. He... He starts by praising police in the most sort of like, like circuitous, like root. It's like uh, whenever people want to praise police and they're on the right wing, the go-to is always 9-11. Do you know who police are when they're at their best? They're selfless servants who help us and who sometimes pay the ultimate price for it. They're the kind of people who run towards danger when the rest of us are running away. On 9-11, for example, hundreds of firefighters died in the Twin Towers, but so did 60 cops running into the towers to help save lives. And I don't know why that's the go-to. I guess, like, the idea is that on 9-11, a bunch of police officers, but I thought it was mostly firefighters, but a number of them, like, ran to the scene and then died when the buildings collapsed. And therefore, that, that somehow shows that police officers and firemen as opposed to all other human beings are the most praiseworthy because of this one incident and like granted they you know good on you for like trying and like it's sad that you lost your lives it's just weird that this is always for uh conservatives the go-to example you know yeah that is like you can't think of anything more recent yeah. <laughs> that they've done that are that's good like you got nothing, yeah. really? Maybe it's you're proving your own time. point. <laughs> it's 
the one time the police did something good was when they were saving people on 9-11. Every other God. time, ACAP. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of a position I can get behind. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean that they acted like human beings and responded to a disaster in this one instance? Yeah, okay. That's decent. That's good. That's a human thing to do. You see something bad happen. You're like, oh, no, I'm going to go try to help. I'm sure there are plenty of fucking strangers in the buildings, too, who are just like, oh, wow, this looks bad. Better go see if I can help people out. This, uh, for some reason, and I know uh, you have some thoughts about David Bowie, but the song Heroes is coming away. You can be heroes just for one day, and that day is 9-11. <laughs> So as it goes from this to immediately like praising the cops on 9-11 to immediately jumping to Bernier, Maxime Bernier being arrested. For those who don't know, like we've mentioned him all the time on the show, Maxime Bernier is the leader of the People's Party of Canada. They're a far-right party. Uh, they None of them have been elected. They do really poorly in elections. And I yelled at them when they came to town. Well, I, I yelled directly at Maxime Bernier. So lore of the show. But... Uh, Ezra's mad that Bernier got arrested, and he asks what crime did he commit. And, like, the obvious thing is he was told not to gather in parks during the pandemic in Manitoba, I believe, was where the arrest took place. Yeah, Manitoba. And he did it anyways, and got arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th I think we all know what crime he committed, you know? Uh, the question is whether or not you actually think it is... I mean, this is the interesting thing, is they never go to that next-level argument, which is, like, admit that, yes, they put these laws in. We happen to think they're, like, not just laws, right? And, like, say there. But instead, they have to say, what crime did he commit? But, like, there are laws on the books. You just don't think that they're legitimate yet, but you have to prove that, right? It's interesting, because they just, like... It's this constant vacillation between, like, worshipping law and order and then also being like, oh, we don't like it, though. It's mean to us. They only like the law when it serves their purpose. And when it doesn't, they're like, oh, well, now they have to get mad at it. Yeah. Like, they openly want the law to be arbitrary and not apply to their ideological core type of thing. Exactly. Especially in terms of protest. It's like other protests, like... Uh, they're bad, they need to be suppressed, round them up, but God forbid you do that to an anti-mask protest, uh, then it's then it's like uh, the worst thing to ever happen, you know? Then, like, of course, uh, I, I mean, I'm interested in this. He, he doesn't give a ton of detail, but apparently one of the cops who either arrested Bernier or Menzies, it was not clear, uh, had a My Little Pony tattoo? I'm pretty cool with tattoos. You know, they're not for me, but I don't really care. I like making conversation with people, asking what their tattoos are all about. Great way to make friends. But I really think that handshaking cop has a My Little Pony tattoo on his arm. Can you make that out? I think that's a unicorn or something. But I think it's actually a My Little Pony tattoo. It sounds about right for a cop handing out a ticket for handshaking. What an embarrassment to the profession he is. Part of me is like, cool. <laughs> But Ezra's, like, making fun of <laughs> But there's the one meme that's, like, every single brony either, like, grew up to be a trans woman or is a fascist. Like, and we know which one this one is. Like, <laughs> cop, you know? It's like, you can tell that the, the angle that Ezra is taking is the somehow it's not masculine to have a My Little Pony tattoo. But it's like, we have no, like, I mean, it could be that this person is, say, in a fascist community and is really into My Little Pony for that reason. Or maybe it was something that his, like, child picked out or something. Like, it's so, so out of context. But, like, because Ezra's mad at the cops, rather than focus on anything systematic or, like, problematic with cops generally, what we get is, look at this cop who's wearing a My Little Pony tattoo. I think that should be mandatory. All cops have My Little Pony tattoos? Yeah. That's how, that's how you, like, identify undercover cops. <laughs> Look, yeah. <laughs> yeah? No, I'm down. 
I was gonna say it like weeds them out. Like you don't all the hyper masculine ones will just be like, No, I don't want it and those are the people you don't want to be cops anyway, so you just like it's a screening process, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like that is that along with like defunding is just like part of the path to abolition. So Menzies received a ticket, and his ticket is primarily because he didn't wear a mask when attending or will I think this was in Peterborough where Menzies received the ticket, Peterborough in Ontario. And he wasn't wearing a mask when he was doing any of his reporting. And Ezra complains that, acknowledging that there's like a law in place, but then goes, yeah, but Menzies only wears a mask when appropriate. So it's like, because he's a journalist, he gets some sort of exclusion when interviewing people. But, like, other than that, he wears the mask when it's, like, legally mandated. And I know that that's not true. Like, you and I, Vito, have watched uh, on our Twitch streams many videos of David Menzies just walking into buildings without a mask on. Constantly. God. Yeah. Just all over the place, too. And there was even what was, like, the one incident where he walks up to the building with his mask on, and when they get ready to film, he takes the mask on when they walk into the building, and it was like, it's... That was the Lickbo story. Yeah, it was the LCBO one. So it's like, he does this shit all the time. He purposefully takes off his mask to make a point, even in cases when it would be illegal. Ezra then complains, though, because, of course, it, it can't be that Menzi was, was ticketed because he was wearing this mask. It had to be because... Uh, Menzies was being targeted for his journalism and they just don't like what he's saying on and on and on all that kind of bullshit but in the ticket itself the reason why he was ticketed was because it suspected that he was a participant and a promoter of the anti-lockdown rally and this is like an interesting point to pause on because I think their reporting on the lockdown stuff really blurs this line between promotion and participating and simply being some sort of like objective reporter because it's clear to me that what they do on their show is promoting people to attend uh these rallies Mm -hmm. and at that point like do do you really get to claim that you're being objective (laughs) you know what i mean like there's it would be one thing if you were just saying these events are happening but like literally the next day their new reporter named Adam Seuss, he tells people on Ezra's show to go out to the protests to protest all these lockdowns. But ultimately what it comes down to is each and every one of us as citizens, whether we tolerate this or not, we need to stand up. It's not simply enough to be upset. It's not simply enough to go out to tweet. I encourage people to take an active stance. Send a letter to the police. Get out there. Become politically active. Go to fightthefines.com and make a contribution because we're helping people fight back. There are so few voices standing up for the freedoms that make Canada great. And it's about time that we as citizens get together and rebel in a spirit of freedom and truth and put an end to this nonsense once and for all. Which is like, (laughs) that's a call to action, you know? Yeah. I don't know, like, it's one of those, like, there is no objectivity, you know? Like, there is no objective journalism or whatever anyways. So on the one hand, it's kind of like, at least they're honest about that. But also, yeah, like, to pretend that they aren't just basically, like, the media arm of these sort of far-right movements rather than, like, independent journalists type of thing is kind of, like, dishonest. Yeah, I agree with you about the objectivity in media and stuff like that. It's just like, even though a lot of these lines are themselves blurry and and fuzzy between being an activist and a reporter, say, because I know a lot of people, for example, uh, we appreciate some of the stuff that Robert Evans does. And there's times there where it's like, is it activism? Is it reporting? Is it the same? Does it matter? Like all that kind of fun stuff. But with them, it's like they're trying their best to say they're not at all activists in this case, even though, like, they constantly are calling themselves activists. Like, even with the Fight the Fines campaign, Ezra's been making a note on his show that they're no longer a news, just a news outlet. They're also an activist outlet since they're getting people to, like, help fund their legal battles to fight all these COVID uh, restriction fines. So it's like, it, it's, it would be one thing if they just owned it 
and we're just like, yes, we're also being activists. But it's like they only use it when they're like trying to solicit funds. They never use it when the law clamps down on them. As soon as the law comes, they're like, oh no, we're just reporting. Law goes away and they're like, we're an activist network. <laughs> God. Yeah. They suck. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. They're shitty. But here's, so here, this is great. So the evidence, uh, the cop lists as evidence for why Menzies is not just being a journalist is at one point they got Menzies on, like, camera shaking the hand of both Hillier and Bernier and laughing and giving them pats on the back all without wearing a mask, all when he wasn't reporting. <laughs> Which is like, if you're saying you're just doing reporting... That, like, how is that part of the, the objective journalist aspect of it if you're literally, like, prating around and joking and laughing and uh, shaking the hand of the leaders of this movement? Yeah. Objectivity. <laughs> I was going to say, like, it's kind of funny, the, like, you know, interconnections between far-right, quote-unquote, news or whatever, media outlets and like actual far-right politics and then like you look at mainstream news outlets and their relationship to like the liberal and conservative parties and it's just like the exact same shit like you know they are they aren't wrong to be like oh but like other news groups get to do this too because like who is it that is like like it's one of the cabinet ministers i think right now that's like the spouse of one of the major like news outlet producers type of thing where it's just like it's so obviously like a conflict of interest but it's just like huh guess that's fine you know who it is i'm blanking right now it's brian Lilly, who was the co-founder of rebel news fuck of course it is that is so funny <laughs> Yeah, Brian Lilly. Well, he's no longer working with Rebel News. He left back in August 2017. And it was okay. like after the fallout of the whole, like, uh, during the whole Faith Goldie Charlottesville thing. Right. But he's, he's, uh, yeah, I've, I don't remember who it is, but he's dating someone who's it, who works for Doug Ford in some capacity. Right, that's it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, wild. I is, mean, but the, the weird is thing, his too, press is. Secretary? It, is that who? <laughs> is his wife like it's it's definitely someone who's more than just a a low-level staffer kind of position yeah but it's it's weird because there's so i mean the argument they make about say the cbc is not that like it would be one thing if they're like we just don't like the fact that they're uh siding up with justin trudeau they make an argument that is about, like, independence, right? That, like, the media should not be influenced by politics. But you are right. Like, they, they are literally the mouthpiece for, for these dissident figures such as Derek Sloan, Maxime Bernier, Randy Hillier. Like, all these people who get kicked out of the conservative party and don't really have a home and are floating around. Because Ezra can't get any other politician, he, like, latches on to these people, you know? Yeah. Like, Rebel used to be the media wing of the Conservative Party. Yeah. But because they don't have that at, like... Because of August 2017, when they got shown to be... When, like, they got their uh, bare cheeks exposed to the world. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. But it's just kind of like, they've always been like this. And they were fine with it. Like... Yep. And are fine. He with interviewed it. Andrew Shear. Like uh <sighs> Yeah. No, it's it's uh I mean it's hypocrisy. It's always hypocrisy, but what you gonna yeah. do? <laughs> yeah, it's always yeah. But the story gets wild with Menzies. So uh Ezra gets this ticket, gets the ticket from Menzies, and decides he's going to call the police officer. And at first I like he's telling this on his show and I'm just like, he's not gonna call the police officer. And then he calls the fucking police officer <laughs> who issued Menzies the ticket. And then he he starts off the conversation by basically telling the cop over the phone that he's going to nominate him to be the worst cop ever. I am calling you Canada's worst cop, which is pretty stinging. And I, I thought I'd check and see if he had anything to say. As, as far as doing my 
doing my job as a police officer? Yeah, I think you're doing it in the worst possible way. Um, giving people tickets for, for laughing, for handshaking. I think you're really abusing the law for during political a, reasons. During a pandemic and following the legislation as, as according to the law and what it states under the Reopening Ontario Act, as far as um, the law and what the law states regarding maintaining two-meter uh, physical distancing. And if you can't uh, do that, then you, you have to wear a mask. And the cop responds basically like, Why? Because I enforced the law during a global pandemic? <laughs> and it's the weirdest exchange I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, the, the cop put, just points out to him, he's like, there's, there's a mask mandate in place. Like, what do you want, what do you want from me? Oh my god. And then Ezra, who, like, he plays part of his, like, dialogue with the police officer, and then he, like, goes back to, like, narrating the conversation kind of thing. And he's like, uh, he's like, well, journalists are exempt from mass mandates, and he goes on this whole thing. But again, it's like Menzies was not reporting when he was shaking the hands of the people, right? So, again, you have to wear a mask at that point. That's what it says in the bylaws. So, of course, the, the police officer issued him a ticket. Actually, he could just have his press card and just say, actually, I'm exempt at all times, in all places. Menzies is just always reporting. He goes to sleep, like, holding his microphone. He's <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's glued to his hand. He can't even let go of it if he wanted to. That's why he still works for Rebel, <laughs> even though he keeps getting hit by buses and arrested. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a life contract. That explains it. He owes a life debt yeah. to Ezra somehow. My God. So <laughs> Ezra then argues with the police officer. He's like, this is selective enforcement. Because, like, I guess, you know, there was it was a whole field of just millions of people that they could have all ticketed. And the cop says, uh, yeah, just like speeding, you can't pull over every single person who's breaking the law. There's just not enough of us compared to all the people who are speeding. And... Part of me is like, that makes sense. But also, I'm kind of like, who cares if it's selective enforcement? Like, the, some people are going to flaunt the thing more than others. And maybe, like, in your discretion, you choose uh, Menzies over all the people. Although, I guess, like, you can't say that as a police officer or else that might, like, jeopardize the, the legal case. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Then the cop tries to plead with Ezra to cover this fairly. <laughs> What? Anything else you want to tell me? Um, just that I would like you to report it in a fair, factual manner, and that emphasis on the facts and issue. Okay. Well, I'll do my best, and I appreciate your. And I will. And you'll see. I don't have anything I... personal against mm -hmm. Rebel News, Mr. Menzies, or you, sir. Okay. That's where you are fair. Try to be as fair and impartial. And maybe you can write this down that we try to be as fair and impartial as we possibly can, but knowing that we cannot please everyone and that there will be people that are, are, are going to be upset. And we cannot charge everyone, it's just physically impossible. And I'm like, do you even know who you're talking to, police officer? Like, what are you doing? Dumbass. And then the, and then the phone call ends, and Ezra then, uh, officially on his program, nominates this cop as the worst cop ever. He changed my mind a couple of degrees, but not a lot, because out of 600 people who attended that day, 588 went home without a ticket, only 12 were targeted, and unlike... Staff Sergeant McLean's analogy to random speeding tickets, this was anything but random. They poured over pictures and videos for days. They made lists. They scoured Facebook posts. They creeped individuals out there. They labeled people as political troublemakers. That's why they chose David Menzies as the only reporter to charge. I asked this cop five times why he chose David Menzies, and he wouldn't answer any time. Well, that's an answer in itself, isn't it? 
So there you have it. Is he Canada's most violent cop? No. That's probably someone in Toronto. Is he the most corrupt cop? No. Obviously, that dishonor goes to Montreal. The stupidest cops are to be found in Aylmer. But for singling out our rebel news reporter who has a TV mask exemption, who is outdoors, singling him out for the offense of shaking hands with a lovely old lady and then singling him out for the offense of laughing and taking surveillance photos of the handshaking and the laughing and then defending that as normal policing, I hereby nominate Staff Sergeant Dan McLean of Peterborough as Canada's worst cop. He did a whole episode basically defending Derek Chauvin. And yet this cop, this cop out of all the cops because he ticketed David Nancy's is the worst cop ever. <laughs> this isn't even the worst interaction with a police officer. I don't even know if this is even in the top five worst interactions with a police officer that David Menzies has had this year. Like, why is it this one? Is it because Ezra has to pay the ticket? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's because the reason listed was like Ezra is really fixated on the fact that one of the reasons listed was that he was smiling and shaking the hands of like Bernier and Hillier. That's enough to like make he's just so he's like he's the worst. We can't even smile and shake hands anymore. <laughs> Remember when Menzies got arrested in Montreal and bit through that tape? <laughs> You know, there's such clowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> such, but such dangerous clowns. My God. But, like, that arrest was inarguably worse. <laughs> like, he, he got, like, thrown to the ground. Yeah. When he was trying to speak to Ron McLean, even. Like, let alone the Montreal arrest. There's so many times when he's just got the shit beat out of him. Like, there's a reason we have the, 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 uh, oh, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> He's just constantly getting <laughs> Like, how is this the worst cop ever when he's not even the worst... He's definitely not, like, in the top five worst cops to rebel employees total. Not even in the last, like, three months. Like, is it just because Ezra has this dude's name? And it, apparently phone number? <laughs> yeah, maybe that. Or, like, uh... Or he just was really, really, uh... Reaching for content this week. <laughs> Yeah, that honestly seems really likely. It's been a pretty <laughs> uneventful time so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why this was this was the thing that he needed to talk about, but there it was. And of course, uh, once once this segment was done, he then has a has an interview with Maxime Bernier over the arrest. And honestly, nothing that happens in this interview is worth talking about. Really, it was very boring and just like persecution persecution apparently i guess maxine was ordered not to use social media for a bit so ezra thinks this is like an evil attack and it's political because he's a politician even though he's a politician who did really terrible in the last election he ran in <laughs> do you get to be called a politician if like you aren't holding any sort of political office ex-politician could maybe be true yeah i think it's weird too because i i think what he's trying to get at as well is like if you are running for politics so since he's a leader of a federal party even though it's a federal party that doesn't have a seat in parliament that any sort of like sanction against you must be political because it's trying to prevent you from running but it's like, what if Maxime Bernier goes on like a rampage and just murders a bunch of people? Is like arresting him for that now political? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, Ma I mean, sure, the murderous rampage, that's one thing. I mean, okay, yes, yes, the murderous rampage is political. I just mean, is it like uh, a part of, <laughs> is arresting him uh, done because he's the leader of the PPC or is it being done because he just murdered a bunch of people, right? No, it's just because he's the PPC. <laughs> they're actually charging him with that they're not even charging him with the murders <laughs> they're banning him from social media for a bit and i don't know i think it's like over and done with uh so he's back online or whatever but it's because he keeps on like encouraging people to break the law 
like to go to these anti-lockdown and anti-COVID restriction uh, protests. And when they're at these protests, he's breaking the law. So it's like, at some point, it's like, sure, doing that is not, say, as extreme as my murder example, but there's probably reason to not have people in your society be allowed to constantly flaunt health measures like that, you know? I wonder how many anti-maskers have died of COVID after those protests. Because, like, an argument could be made that Maxime has already at least contributed to multiple deaths. I mean, that's very likely. This is the thing with, like, externalities that are annoying. It's like, they like to pretend like what they're doing isn't, is, like, harmless. But it's like, just because it's not as direct as someone putting a gun on you and pulling the trigger, but you helping to be a disease vector to more people, if anything, is killing more people, you know? Yeah. I do want to say, one of the things that Ezra says in regards to this So he says that what's happening to Maxime is uh, basically what is happening in Venezuela. And I I don't want to take a stance on Maduro or any of the, like, sides in Venezuela or whatever. But I had a thought way back in the day when I was researching a lot of this uh, for various reasons. That it's, like, it's complicated because... A lot of people in the international community condemned someone like the president of Venezuela, Maduro. They condemned him for arresting one of the opposition leaders, even though the opposition leader was doing things that was like against the law. And some of them were pretty bad. Like he was running these like blockades where they would put like wire across the roads. And like some people had been beheaded, like Maduro supporters had been beheaded. And it was like, They had good, like, if you put that in, like, our context, you might have good reason to arrest this person, even though he is the leader of the opposition, you know? Yeah. Like, not to say that, like, there isn't other, like, there's a lot of shit going on in Venezuela. It's more just to the fact of, like, put it in, like, our context. If you have someone who's just, he, you have the leader of the conservative party just going around doing horrendous (laughs) shit, motivating people to do, like, terrible crap, and he gets arrested... Well, like, at what point is that, like, you trying to, like, somehow manipulate the election, or you just have to deal with the person who's running around beheading people, you know what I mean? Or encouraging people to behead people, because I'm not saying that the opposition in Venezuela was actually doing the beheading. Yeah. It's just like, I don't, like, I don't know. I don't, like, it's a really tricky position to be in, you know? It's also just, like, actually things are different sometimes. Like... Not everything is the same, you know? (laughs) Like, sometimes political repression of the far right is good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind uh, Bernier being uh, prevented. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he's a fascist. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, it's good. I, I like it when fascists get banned off social media, you know? And if it hinders them from becoming political leaders, then uh, cool. The next day, Ezra admits in the, like, mailbag section that he's uh, kind of amazed that the cop even talked to him. And he thinks that the cop actually probably ruined his case against Menzies by being so forthcoming on the show. And he might have a point there. He also says he added the few moments at the top of the show of praising the cops because Ezra uh, claims he doesn't want to become one of these Antifa lefties. There are terrible police across this country. And that's why I started my show yesterday with five minutes on the best of police, because we've got to keep reminding ourselves, because I I don't want to become one of these Antifa leftists, these defund the cops leftists. I want to keep remembering the best about police and that that's what police were and could be and should be again. And he doesn't really like explain why he doesn't want to become one of these Antifa lefties, where it's like, you like... Just like it's clear that his hating of the cops is not the same because it solely relies on like the cops not targeting the people that Ezra wants the cops to target, even though the rest of the society disagrees with Ezra, right? Where Antifa and Black Lives Matter is clearly more of a social justice issue with the fact of like maybe we don't want the cops just killing people based on the color of their skin, you know? Yep, brave stance to take, but I support it. And then, like, 
without even missing a beat. Ezra says, It is not a natural place for me to be anti-cop, but because the civil liberties crisis we're in has so overwhelmed my mind, it's when I see a cop now, my first thought is, oh great, is he going to come after me because I'm not wearing a mask? Oh great, is he going to come ask for, after me and not even know the law he's applying against me? I, that is the, the feedback I have when I, when I, the mental feedback I have when I see a cop in the wild. Are you like not fucking self-aware at all that like you're basically just describing profiling? <laughs> It's like, for Ezra, racial profiling in police officers, not a thing, doesn't exist. But of course, what are the police officers doing? Mask profiling. <laughs> what, a, what a clown. So that's, that's most of it with the cops. I did want to c cover one little extra uh, bit, which is that when uh, Kian Bexty, and it's been a while since we talked about him on the show because he quit Rebel, but Kian Bexty came into Canada after reporting in Florida and got sent to one of these COVID hotels, which they called COVID jails. I forgot about this. Rebel News filed a <laughs> Rebel News filed a charter challenge on his behalf, saying that it was unconstitutional what's happening at these COVID jails. Well, they lost the, the charter challenge at the provincial level, so they're appealing it. And Ezra claims that the judge ruled against him out of fear. I ended up reading... I didn't read the whole thing. It's a long friggin' case, because they were just throwing everything at the wall. Including, like, one of the issues that they kept talking about before was how unsafe these places were because sexual assaults occurred at them. And sexual assaults are bad, but the one thing you have to consider is, is like, sexual assaults happen. What you need to determine is whether or not these facilities themselves like increase that risk or not uh mm -hmm. and in this case like they don't like they didn't prove that right like it's terrible what happened to uh the women who were sexual assaulted at these facilities just like it's bad what happens when women are sexually assaulted anywhere right it's just there's no evidence that there's any particular risk with the having people quarantine at a hotel after they traveled you know, like what, yeah. there's no actual increase in that risk, right? And so most of what the judge, what I read, the judge was just like, you don't have evidence. You don't have evidence of this. Like they even tried to cite like that the pandemic wasn't real. <laughs> not, not quite in those terms, but just that like the virus isn't killing as many people as they said it was and this, this, and this. And the judge ju is just like, even if you were right, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but also you're wrong. You know, it, it is what it is. But, like, I don't I don't see how they're going to actually win at the appeal. They're just going to keep pushing it up. But this is the thing that I've been saying all along. They're going to lose all these challenges. Like, when you read the law, the most... The, the closest thing they have to a case is maybe the arbitrariness when it comes to some of their other cases. The COVID jail one seems perfectly legitimate. If you're leaving the country based on the regulations and you come back in uh, and you... Uh, at that time when you were leaving, you weren't allowed to leave. So it's like, okay, you have to quarantine for uh, a couple weeks. And then you have to pay for your stay at those facilities. Or actually, I think it was only like three days you had to stay there. But either way, this is uh, that's what it was. I, I think it's going to be legal. They're going to lose. But of course, they're uh, begging their audience for funding, which is what they always do. So I kind of hope that like the judge makes them pay like their own salary type of thing so that taxpayers don't have to pay for it like like pay the judge's salary <laughs> yeah exactly like just and every employee every like legal employee that has to be there or whatever like every janitor who has to clean up after them i guess it's probably online but yeah i think they definitely have to pay for their own uh fees but... yeah but i hope they have to pay for everybody's fees like i think that's a reasonable request yeah, I think so, for clogging up the system with all these, like, frivolous complaints, but... Mm -hmm. That's what the rich can do in our system, so... Thanks, capitalism! We, we promoted this one last week as well. And we're going to uh, keep promoting it until he gets funded, which is uh, Michael Buchert called somebody alt-right. 
because they did things that Michael Buchert reasonably construed as alt-right. <laughs> and he's being sued for it. Again, the person that uh, he called alt-right appeared on Gavin McGinnis's show and also uh, self-identified as Milo Yiannopoulos. So this is the type of person that we're dealing with here and is now suing Michael Buchert for defamation. Now, Michael Buchert tried to file an anti-slap motion. That failed, which means he has to go to court and fight this guy legally in court. So he's looking for money to help uh, fund his lawyers fees and stuff like this and i think it's a good thing to do uh considering the content that we create here and the potential uh that we could get sued sometime in the future we know that ezra is very litigious so you know it's nice for one just because michael bucher is awesome uh awesome on palestinian issues and stuff like this that's what they did their, their dissertation on and so awesome guy deserves this help anyways but also i think there's like an act of solidarity that maybe when our if it ever comes to us that we're going to need this help that there's a community there that knows this is an important cause and will band together plus i want to see michael uh, win in court and set a precedent that these right-wingers can't just constantly sue us for calling them what they are uh so here's hoping and uh yeah we'll put a link to his gofundme the last time I checked, he was at like thirty-five thousand. They only—I think he's only asking for uh, fifty thousand. So uh, please donate to that. That'd be awesome. And then I had two little articley things uh, this week. Um, mostly because the first one is short, but also very interesting. Um, Antihate.ca uh, put a, a big expose out. Um, earlier today, so June 29th, on a, the group Canada First, uh, which is a, I don't know how to pronounce it, do you say groiper? I hate this feeling yeah, of groiper. that word in my mouth. <laughs> um, so like Nick Fuentes uh, founded a thing called America First, and this dude named Tyler L. Russell, uh, who is in St. Thomas, Ontario, which is just half an hour outside of where we are founded a thing called Canada First uh, with the aim of founding a white ethnostate in Canada, or I guess securing a white ethnostate in all of Canada. It's not like a breakaway or anything. Yeah, and they did just like a really wonderful expose of like all of their bullshit on Discord especially, and then also went through a little rundown of some of their most active members, including the dude's parents. Uh, and also, uh, there was one dude based in good old London, Ontario, just like us, a dude named Dan Salino, and he looks vaguely familiar, which is also kind of gross. But yeah, give that a read. Always good to know what the fucking weirdo fascist groups in Canada are up to. I had another article that is like just... A really good favorite and a really good introduction to kind of like critical Marxism and like critical readings of Marx called Between Marx, Marxism, and Marxism's Ways of Reading Marxist Theory. And it just kind of like gives a rundown on a lot of the history of Marxism as a like general concept, basically, and going through like how, like, in the 1870s and stuff like that, like, the first concepts of a coherent or a, like, idea of a Marxism came to be. And there's, like, a famous quote from Marx that um, goes along the lines of, like, if this is what people are calling Marxism, then I am not a Marxist. Generally, just, like, the phrase je ne suis pas Marxiste is what people, like, repeat. But so it kind of gives a rundown of that going through that into like the second international and social democracy and through that into Marxism, Leninism, uh, and then kind of like critically like breaking through that and, you know, laying down lines of critique of that uh, going back to like the early days of social democracy and just being like, huh, these weren't the greatest conceptions and don't actually really line up that much with Marx. And then going into things like Western Marxism and, um, the Neue Marx Lecture, um, which is a more modern thing, the new reading of Marx. It's a kind of like German school that really focuses on 
like the value form and stuff like that. Anyways, wonderful article. Give it a read if you are interested in Marx or communism or anything like that, which I hope a lot of our listeners are. If you support and enjoy what you're... You've- <laughs> <laughs> if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called imperial news. We also have a discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 8 PM Eastern standard time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at stryadam.bandcamp.com, also on Facebook as Head in a Box. Thank you for listening, and Great Britain, you canceled. Hell fucking yeah. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.